Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We're building quite an interesting and eclectic community of people who are, you know, reaching out and saying they're listening to the show. The numbers are growing. I mean, we're not one of these giantly, you know, hundreds of thousands of download podcasts, but, you know, many of our episodes are topping a thousand downloads and the amount of feedback I'm getting both on Twitter and on Facebook and directly on email is going up. And a couple of people have reached out to me about doing some business coaching, sort of career coaching for them. So I picked up a couple of clients uh, on that line. And a couple of people have reached out to me and said, Tom, how come you're not doing sort of a you know, lower priced instead of individual coaching, sort of a lower priced group coaching call. So I'm actually in the process of trying to put together the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Club, where for just $250 for the quarter, you can participate on a weekly Google Hangout call and also have access to me one-on-one every month to be able to ask any questions and sort of brainstorm some ideas that you're doing. However, I'm just starting to announce that. So if you're interested, I need for you to email at Tom, T-H-O-M, at TomSinger.com and let me know that you'd be interested in being part of this. It's only going to be $250 for the quarter. We're going to do a weekly uh, call via Google+, and then we'll have some one-on-one things. We'll see if we can build a community. If I can get four or five people you know, to start off, I'm willing to start this project. And the great thing is is if you start early and I'll never raise the price on you as long as you stay involved. And the other thing is, is if we only get, you know, three or four people, that means these calls are going to be really intense and really focused on you. So this is an idea that a couple of the listeners had brought up to me. Some other podcasters do similar things. And so I thought, you know what, we'll give it a go. And if there's people who are interested, We'll do it. If there's not, you know, we won't. So uh, reach out to me and let me know if you want to be part of the inaugural group of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Club. So in addition to uh, that, we're still going forward with a show every Tuesday and Thursday. And so today, I am actually going to have a great conversation. We're going to go off the normal script from when I'm talking to a CEO of some growth-oriented company. We're going to have more of a discussion about following your dreams you listen to the last episode, I talked a lot about trying new things. I told the story of my doing the sky jump off of the stratosphere in Las Vegas. We talked a little bit about how some celebrities like, you know, Michael Jordan and Oprah and Carly Fiorina and some other people experienced real big setbacks and yet they kept trying, you know, to keep pursuing their dreams and they were able to overcome and achieve greater things into the future. And I also mentioned someone who I met recently who is a middle school teacher who, well, I'll let him tell the story, but he sort of got called out by his students for not following his own dreams while he was encouraging them to. And so he's in the process of sort of reinventing who he is, you know, in his 30s. And I think that was great. He's really the exact type of role model who we like to have here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And so I would like to welcome Kevin Miller to the show. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell the story? You're a, you're a middle school teacher in San Antonio. Why don't you tell the story of what happened at the end of your school year last year? Okay, so I'm in class and I'm teaching 7th and 8th grade advanced math. Uh, a lot of these students are very high achieving, my gifted and talented students who just are very focused on 4.0 GPAs. 
you know, and uh, we were having a great discussion about financial literacy. And it was not planned for us to go down the road that we went, but we were just kind of talking about dreams and aspirations and things that we wanted to do. And every individual student was kind of talking about really their passion and if they had already decided on what they wanted to do as a career choice. And we kind of took a break from the financial literacy piece because I was discussing the importance of, you know, following your passions and, and not just chasing the dollar bill, not just being focused on getting rich but doing something that you truly love to do and doing it really to the best of your ability and with everything that you have. And we had a great discussion. We were listening to hearing from different kids and I was trying to challenge them to, to change their way of thinking. So I think we kind of grow up in the school system thinking that if we're truly going to be successful, that we have to make all A's. And I referenced an article that I read that talked about some of the greatest leaders of our time and some of these awesome CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. They were not all A students. Matter of fact, most of them, made A's, B's, and C's all the way up through through high school and college. But they had learned to really work in teams and network and really think outside the box. And so much more of their success relied on those things than it did book smarts. And so that really kind of challenges a lot of them because they're like, my, my parents always told me I had to make all A's. And I said, you know, <laughs> if they want you to live at their house, you might have to make all A's. I don't really know what kind of agreement you guys have worked out, but – I said, you do not have to make all A's to be successful. And so one of the examples was a girl in our class wanted to be a baker. And so we were talking about that. And I said, do you think it's important that a baker graduates with all A's from high school and goes to, you know, a culinary school and graduates with all A's? And they're like, no, not really. I mean, and we talked about how some of them could already make really good brownies and <laughs> were making A's and B's. I got to tell you, if my baker makes a delicious cupcake, I don't care what they got in school. Well, exactly. And I don't either. If it tastes good, I'm fine with that. You know, and so I kind of say, you know, a doctor, that's a different story. If I'm going to a doctor with some sort of ailment and I don't really know what the issue is, I don't want that guy telling me he made, you know, C's and D's in medical school. I'm going to go find a new doctor. And if, you know, my insurance doesn't cover it, then I'm going to go start working at a different school with a different insurance plan. So, you know, we kind of broke that down a little bit. And so one of the girls was, was telling me she wanted to be a veterinarian and we kind of, you know, compared that to the whole doctor thing and said it's important for you to have a solid education and people aren't going to want to take their whatever horses cost, I don't know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. I'm not going to take my horse to you to get fixed if you're not super intelligent and haven't proven yourself. But she was telling me what she wanted to be and she basically asked me, and I'll never forget it, it was like time stopped and uh, she asked me, she said, Coach Miller, is teaching and coaching your dream job? Ooh. And I had worked all year uh, my students know that, you know, as, as hard as it is sometimes to be gut level honest with them, that they could come to me with questions and I'm going to shoot them straight. I'm going to be honest with them. And I knew at that moment that this was one of those times I could lie to them and probably get away with it. They sure. would never know. Sure. You just um, say, oh, I've always wanted to be a teacher. It's my it's my heart's desire. And how, how are they going to def- how are they going to argue with that? They wouldn't because, I mean, they know that I love them and I care for them and I enjoy my job. And don't get me wrong. I do. And I could be pretty content doing this the rest of my life, but it is not my passion. It is not my dream job. And so in that moment, I just stopped and I said, you know what? I want you to hear me on this because uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I don't want you to think I don't like you, but no, this is not my dream job. And some of their faces were kind of like shock and some were kind of like a little disappointed. And, and then that same girl said, well, what is your dream job? And I told her, I said, I've always, since I was six, 16 years old, wanted to be a television and film actor and star in comedies. And I said, and that has never gone away. Um, so there's 
still to this day, there are times I walk out of a movie and just envy. I mean, it was a great film. I laughed. I had a great time. And I just want to do that. Like, that's why I want to perform. I want to be up making movies, making people laugh, getting them distracted from maybe some of the things going on in their life and, and just give them an escape. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And she just gut checked me right there. And she said, then why aren't you doing it? <laughs> you got to like being called out by a seventh grader. By a seventh grade girl, man, called me out. I'm a 30, <laughs> you know, 37 year old man getting punked by seven grade girls. But you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. It was awesome. And I was glad that she was bold enough to say something. And it was so bold that some of the other kids in her row were like looking at her like, are you crazy? Like, <laughs> like you just, you just said you that to the teacher. That's right. Like you forget your 4.0. You'll be lucky to get a B from now on. You know, it's like, so I sat there and I said, you know what? I said, I can give you a list of excuses and tell you I have responsibilities now. You know, I've got three kids and a wife. I don't have the freedom that you have. Um, and those things are somewhat true. But they are excuses, and they're pretty legit, but they're excuses. And uh, I, I said, you, I don't know. You've given me a lot to think about. Um, I know all the reasons I'm not doing it, but I can't really justify it. And so it, it was really weird how it even turned into kind of like a little group therapy session, how they started trying to encourage me. And they were like, you know, Coach Miller, man, you make us laugh all the time. You tell us funny stories, and you try to make math relevant to us with with all these little quips and little things that you tell anecdotes and you know you could totally do that why don't you do it why don't you try it and so like the last seven minutes of class was them trying to encourage me to go out and take some steps so for me unfortunately at that time i'd already kind of committed several conferences in the summer through school so a lot of my june was already taken up with with you know extra conferences educational things like that and then a good part of july was and then we had a two-week uh, time that we set apart for family vacation so August rolled around pretty quick for me, but I knew that I was about to have to face some of those kids again and that they were going to ask me when they saw me. And they'd, I was like, you know what, I better They'd see you in the hall and say, did you take any acting classes? Did you take any steps towards your dream? I knew they would. After that, I knew that they would. And so, you know, they even came and kind of told me some things after that class. Like, hey, you better get some headshots, you know, because people, agents won't even look at you at headshots. Like, they kind of went home and did some homework. I'm like, guys, I got this, okay? Just get back <laughs> off, you know? <laughs> um, like my own parents don't support this, man. You got to chill a little bit, all right? <laughs> it's, it's weird. I felt like I was back in junior high getting peer pressure from seventh graders. You know? Well, it's and, really it's really interesting because you and I met at an acting class that you were taking in September, just probably a month or so after you took your first acting class. And I was right. actually there with my daughter. My daughter wants to be an actress, and we're trying our best to support it. And I started a conversation with you because I thought you were probably the most experienced person in the class. And I was sort of shocked to know that you were like five weeks into this, you know, chasing your dream towards a career. But as you told me the story that you just told me, you know, and we talked about the fact, you know, that you in high school, that's what you wanted to do. And and you never really pursued it. And I looked over at my daughter and she looked at me and I said, have you heard that story before? And she goes, it's right. you, dad, because I had the same thing when I was in high school. That's what I wanted to do. But my story is actually worse than yours, Kevin, because I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up like 15 miles away from Hollywood. And although I was really active in my school, my high school's theater program for three years, I never took any, you know, exploration of what it took to go on real auditions. Now, 
in in the 1980s, there wasn't the ability to look it all up on the internet. So I I didn't even know where to begin. And I had great parents, but they really weren't going to support this. They just really looked at that as get a regular education, go to college. And then if you want to take a year or so, maybe you can do that. But after college, you know, you get married, you move across the country, you have a couple of kids, you know, up, uprooting everybody and moving to New York or to Los Angeles to try and pursue that just wasn't something that I was going to do. So I turned around almost a decade older than you. I was in my 40s when I turned around and said, this isn't my ladders against the wrong wall. So what stopped you when you were in high school from saying, I'm going to go pursue this? You know, it wasn't I, I wish I could say it was like maybe a fear or a personal decision. Um, and, and I'm always real careful to about this part because it's, you know, I don't ever want to give off the impression that I didn't have good, loving, encouraging, supportive parents uh, because I did. I'm very fortunate. Um, but when it came to this, it was one of those things that people just spoke into my life all the way up through high school. I mean, I remember my, my mom and my dad just coming to my high school place and telling me how good I did and getting good, positive feedback from, uh, you know, not just family members who kind of feel like they have to tell you you did a good job, but, you know, from theater arts people and from other students in my school. And I felt like this was my thing. Like I just, I was a class clown in school. Um, I just owned it. And I felt like, man, people would tell me, I think you're going to be in the movies one day. And that was like exactly what I wanted to hear because that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so I owned it. And it was never about fear for me, but so much of my decisions were based on what my parents supported and where I knew they truly backed me. And I was raised in a great home. I wouldn't change anything. I would just change maybe the way I allowed so much of their support or lack thereof to influence my decision making. Because like I feel now as a parent, I understand it. I understand the protection versus provision, you know, keeping your kids from maybe failing versus providing them with safe, secure opportunities. And, And I felt like that's kind of what they wanted me to do. And it is. And ultimately, it still is. Well, Even and, as a 37-year-old man, it still is. Well, and I can totally relate because the same thing. I had great parents. My joke always is that Beaver Cleaver had nothing. You know, Warden June Cleaver had <laughs> nothing on my parents. I grew up in a great home. But again, they didn't know that world or how to do it. And, and they had both grown up in Los Angeles, and they'd seen some people get spit out by Hollywood who they knew right. had gone down that thing. And it was the same thing. It wasn't that they wanted to kill my dreams. It's that they wanted to protect me from sort of that disappointment. And, you know, so I kind of wonder, and, you know, you, you and I kind of have the exact same story. I wonder how many people there are out there listening to this right now who are going, hey, I'm like Kevin and I'm like Tom in the fact that I never pursued my dream because I was kind of just encouraged to take the more standard, normal path and go get sort of what is, quote unquote, a normal job. And, you know, why do you think people like you and I, I mean, we're both, you know, relatively successful, you know, people. Why, why didn't we do that when we were younger, do you think? I think a lot of it has to do with personality, you know, um, and where you really find true security. Uh, my, my thing was, I, you know, I've got a whole other element of my story that my dad uh, played a major role in my life early on. And he was the one, really, at, for a long time, the one guy that I had in my corner and the only guy. And so, so much of my connection and, and my willing to take risks depended on how much my dad supported and if he was really behind me on it. And so when I knew and I could feel that, 
that was that was basically the, the one factor that kept me from doing it. And I hate to say that because I hate to put that that on him because ultimately it was my decision. But that was the, the stopping force for me, knowing that that he was not supportive of me going to L.A. or going and moving out and trying to start something. Uh, and it wasn't I don't think it was a matter of like disbelief. Like, I don't think you're going to do it. He, he's just an analytical guy. He is a numbers guy. He is a math guru. So and that's exactly what he told me the night I told him. I wanted to be an actor. He said, let's sit down and let's look at, let's look at the statistics. You know, <laughs> the, the percentages of you actually succeeding in this are very, very small. And to me, I knew what my dad was saying and I knew what he was doing. And crazy, fast forward to like February of this year, we had kind of an email exchange and I kind of made a little comment because he was trying to basically encouraged me to apply for this principal position that was coming up at our school. And I told him, that's just not my thing, dad. I don't want to do that. I don't feel called to that. And, you know, I kind of made a little, little, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful or smart, Alec, but I just said, you know what, though, I, I can't do that because that's really going to cut into my acting career. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I didn't expect that to cut him deep, but it did because my response that I got back in an email from him, like within 10 minutes was like, I'm sorry for that. And I just was like, sorry for what? And he goes, I remember that night. He goes, I remember the night you told me you wanted to be an actor. And I remember exactly how I reacted, what I said, and how I responded. And I knew that night that I crushed your dreams, and I've regretted it ever since. Wow. And, yeah, and that's the first time that we've ever even talked about it. Like, it, and it was, and I was like, man, this is not what I was trying to say. Um but for, for him to own that and acknowledge that that many years later, like 21 years later, that was, that was so surprising to me. But such a teaching moment to me as well to, to remind me of the power and the impact and the influence that I personally have on my own children. You know? Absolutely. And I, I want to get to kind of what you're doing in raising your own kids to pursue them to their dreams. But I kind of had a similar type thing. My father's no longer with us. He passed away a year and a half ago, but he passed away at the age of 99. So he had a really good run. Uh, he was 52 years old when I was born, which meant that it was like being raised by grandparents. And that sort of influenced right. the whole thing that, you know, they were older, they were more steady, they really believed in sort of that safe path. And I got laid off six and a half years ago from my job and decided to pursue this professional speaking and professional master of ceremonies career. And for years, the first two years, my father, every time I would see him, he says, have you gotten a real job yet? And he didn't mean anything by that. I was never offended, even though, you know, I, I honest to God believed I had a real job. It was just my right. job. He just didn't know any better. And then when I did my first large speech where I was like filmed and videotaped and the client gave me the tape and I spliced it down into my first demo reel, I put it on my website. And I was visiting him in California and we were at his retirement village where he lived and they had like a group computer. And I said, Dad, come here. Log me onto the computer. I want to show you something. And he sat down, and he, he only knew how to use the computer really to look at stocks. He considered the whole internet to be Google. So, you know, he, he used to, you know, he'd always say, oh, I looked my stocks up on the Google today. And it was like, well, not really, but okay. And uh, my brother had a rule is never try to teach dad the internet because it's just not going to go well. But I went to my website, and I pulled up the video, and he got a tear in his eye watching me speak to a group of like 800 people. And he turned to me. And he said, you're really good. And he proceeded to tell me a story about, you know, in the 1940s, he went to a Toastmasters club 
and only went one time because they asked him a question. He had to speak in front of a group of like 20 people and he didn't like it and he never went back. And he said, where did you learn to do that? And we had this conversation that, you know, I said, I always wanted to be an actor when I was a kid and some of that training and some of that love I get to now do in this job. And he made me replay the video and he just stared at it. And I, I think to say he had a tear in his eye would be an exaggeration. Uh, you know, being of the generation he was, he wasn't a big crier. Right, right. But he definitely had this look and he turned to me and my mother died when I was a teenager. And he turned to me and said, your mother would be so proud of this. And wow. I was like, whoa, you know, that, where did that come from? So I had a different, but sort of a similar moment you know, where he sort of acknowledged, wow, you can do this. And I actually, I don't think after that he ever again said, are you getting a real job? I bet not. Because <laughs> you were on the Google. <laughs> I was. Okay. In fact, he did. He brought some of his friends over and he goes, he, he goes, look, this is my son. He's on the Google. And then he turned to me and he goes, are, are, are you famous? And I'm like, no, not really. And he, he goes, but he's on the Google. So that was, that was kind of a fun, a fun thing is he couldn't figure out how I could be on the internet because his thought was, you know, he only had television to go off of. So if I was on the internet, somebody else probably had to choose to put me there. So, you know, he didn't realize that I had my own website that I just paid somebody to put up. And my brother said, don't explain it to him. Just let him think you're on the Google and let it go with that. So, so you have two young, you have three young kids and, and I have two teenagers. And so what are you doing differently when it comes to your own kids' hopes and dreams? I'm, I'm continuously just asking them, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Um, and it is challenging and I get it. And like I said, it's really kind of given me a new perspective to what my dad was dealing with. Uh, my daughter is 10 years old. Uh, she's actually at a private vocal lesson right now. That's where she's at because she wants to be a singer. So when it comes up, something like that, we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, you do have to give some things up. So I know you love soccer and you love all these other things, but we have to, you know, if you really want to pursue something that you're really passionate about, sometimes it involves sacrifice. So these are the nights they have practice. You can't do soccer because soccer practice is the same exact night, so you got to choose. Uh, this season, this time of her, like, little life or whatever, she has chosen to actually pursue some vocal training, which is where she's at. So Zane is a totally different story. He's my uh, eight-year-old, and he is off the wall. The dude is crazy, uh, so into superheroes and into everything, action, and he wants to be a ninja. So <laughs> I said, if you want to be a ninja, <laughs> you got to learn martial arts, man. Yep. So we put him in karate. Um, he, he loves karate. He did karate for about two years. And when everybody started hitting back, he decided he didn't want to be a ninja. So, you know, I, <laughs> I get it. And uh, I told him, I said, well, okay, we'll take a break then. So what else are you looking to do? He goes, man, I would love to design some of my own video games, man. So right now he actually just got signed up and is part of a little coding class after school. So when school's out, he goes and he learns how to code uh, games and, and little like Lego robots and things of that nature. He is super excited about that. So what I'm trying to do is just give them opportunities, um, encourage them, because it may not be anything I'm good at or can help them at, but I don't want to tell them, eh, no. I mean, Lexi, the, the chance of you really becoming a singer, I don't know if it's that good. You know, Zane, chance of you becoming a ninja, I don't really know if there's much call for ninjas anymore. I don't really, I don't, <laughs> I'm not real big up on the ninja industry or anything. So, but I don't want to do that because, who knows what that could lead into? I mean, Zane, 
may never be a ninja, but he may get back into martial arts and be one of the greatest stunt doubles ever. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, it's too early for me to tell Lexi that I don't think she can do this as a career. I mean, who knows? You know, I personally am probably pretty biased, but I think she's got a sweet, great little voice. And with some actual vocal training, it could be so much better. And so I want to encourage her in that. Uh, Riker, he's five. He doesn't really care much about anything right now. He just <laughs> likes to throw balls at people. And I mean, he's really good at that. So when he gets to the point where he wants to step out and start being a little, you know, more definite on some of the things he wants to pursue, then we'll go, we'll go that route. But my main thing is, I, you know, I always tell them, I'm, I'm here to encourage you, support you, help you. Let me do that. You know, I mean, yes, you're going, you're going to fail. Um, you know, we kind of talked about how I've only kind of been new to this for about a little over a month, maybe a month and a half now. And that's very true. Um, I was sharing with you earlier a little bit about the HEB commercial that my family got called back for. And yeah. And, and I think that is amazing that you took your first acting class six weeks ago and had a callback for a major television commercial just within two months. I mean, well, that's, I that's mean, pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a huge, you know, it should be, obviously it's a huge regional commercial would have been shown all over the state. Our whole fam- family got pumped up and excited about it. And we went and we had our call back on Tuesday and uh, unfortunately, we got notified yesterday that we were released. And, you know, we made it maybe the top 10, 15 families that they wanted to look at. Um, so we, you know, we did definitely celebrate that. And we went up there as a family on Tuesday and had a great experience and, and wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, but I tell you, I was very disappointed yesterday. I was disappointed that we didn't get it. I was disappointed that we had to tell the kids. And I knew that they would be very disappointed. Uh, Zane and Riker were bummed. Lexi was so bummed that she actually cried and, you know, kind of had a moment where, you know, we had to console her and everything and, and, and get her to look at the bright side. But the fact that on the way to school today, we had such a encouraging, positive conversation about the whole, the whole situation. That is what spoke volumes to me when Lexi was sitting there from the back seat right behind me, almost like my conscience in a sense sitting there telling me the things that I've been trying to teach them and, and telling me, dad, you know, you know, what's great about this is it was a, a great learning experience. And even though we didn't get it, we learned from it and we're better because of it, dad. And we may have another opportunity that we do get that may be greater than this because we, we didn't get selected for this one. So it's not like we're not ever going to get to do it. Now we're just one step closer to when we do get to do it. And I mean, I wow. you talk about a tear in your eye. Cut a ten year a ten year old a ten year old telling you, know? you that you know hey this you know one door closes another window opens that's she's a pretty wise kid. Oh, she even repeated something that we talk about. She sat there and told me, Dad, like you say, disappointed but not defeated. <laughs> and I was like, man, I mean, and I, I mean, I still I'm a thirty seven year old man. I still needed to hear that, you know, because I'm like, wait, what's wrong with my family? How can we get picked for this HB commercial, man? We love Christmas and and you know we're excited and. You know, I think we're good. You know, I'm very fortunate that I married way above my level because I've got beautiful <laughs> kids. But why can't we? And so I've been dealing with that same sense of rejection that they've been feeling. But having a 10 year old girl, you know, I don't know what it is about the girls in my life. I got seven year olds, you know, seventh graders checking me. I got 10 year olds encouraging me. Uh, I'm just blessed, you know, and it's, <laughs> it, it's been it's been quite a journey. So it is very new for us, but. You know, like I said, I, I want to exemplify the same things I'm expecting from my kids. And that was a big part of me personally stepping out and pursuing this, you know. 
Well, and I tell my daughters all the time that if you don't try, you know, you're never going to get a shot at it. But sometimes when you try, you're going to get disappointed. And, you know, one of my daughters had a, had a disappointment and she said, it's, it's your fault because you encourage me to try for things. If, <laughs> if you don't try, you won't be disappointed. And then after a pause, she goes, of course, you won't achieve anything either. So, you know, she knew, right. you know, even, even in her disappointment that you have to, you know, just pick yourself up and, and move forward and try again. And you and I met because I brought my daughter to an advanced acting for commercials class because this is something she's interested in. I don't know anything about it. So I signed her up for a class with a professional casting agent who would, you know, help her kind of learn, you know, if she had the the chops and then what things you have to do on an audition in order to get noticed. And she learned a whole bunch. And on the drive home, we were talking about the fact that my parents never did that. They never found the way to say, you know, let's try it. And, you know, we're now going to start looking to finding her an agent because, you know, apparently she's pretty good at what she does. But, you know, again, finding an agent doesn't mean she's going to get parts, but, you know, we have to do that as sort of a next step. So we just, you know, are kind of finding a way to take it forward. And and we're honest about the fact that that's you're choosing a tough road, but if it's what you want to do, you at least have to try. And if it leads you to something else, you know, how cool is that? You know, it doesn't have to lead you, you know, in the end of the day, if you go get into theater and you become a director, you know, that doesn't mean you failed. You know, if you become a costume exactly. designer, you you didn't, you know, fall off the rails. You just found something else where you could use your talents. And so we're trying to set her up to to go and, and, and at least learn what the industry is about so that when she's old enough, she can make a, a, a wise decision. And I think that's a very important piece. I mean, that's an element that a lot of people don't have. I mean, and, and I think like what you're saying. Yes, it, it, it's a good balance of pushing them, helping them understand the risks, but also what the reward is, you know. And I think that's the greatest part is my, you know, my kids even reminding me like, Dad, hey, you're right. You know, we're not going to get a chance to succeed if we don't try. So, and Lexi even reminded me, you know, today when we had that conversation, you know, I, I even asked her, I said, you know, yesterday, how bad did you feel? She's like, I felt pretty horrible, Dad. Like, I, I was really upset and I was sad. I was like, you know what? So was I. But don't you feel a little bit better today? She's like, yes, I do. I said, and see, that's what it is. People don't want to try because sometimes they know they're going to be disappointed. And people don't know how to work past that disappointment. But when you, you know, and I'm not saying go in expecting you're going to be disappointed every time, but expect that that is a possibility. And when when it it happens, it does. Yeah. When it does happen, the other thing is, is that's where we really show our character, you know. When something doesn't go our way, it's what do we do in that moment and how do we pick ourselves up and move forward and either go after the goal twice as hard in a different angle or change our goal and go after that one with twice as much effort. So you're in the process, you're in the process of sort of reinventing just now in your mid thirties, going after these goals and these dreams that you, you sort of had on the shelf for, you know, 20 years what recommendations, what advice do you have to somebody? Because I have a lot of people who listen to the show. They don't want to become actors, but a lot of people who listen to the show want to start their own business. They really have a desire to say goodbye to that job as a teacher or as a banker or a lawyer. What advice do you have for somebody who maybe they're thinking, maybe I'm too old. Maybe I missed the window to go pursue my own thing. What advice do you have? My first advice would be to stop thinking that way. You know, um, is it going to be easy? No. And if you're looking for something easy, then you should probably just stay where you're at doing what you've been doing because you're probably pretty good at it now. You know, um, I, I, it'd be easy for me to say as a teacher. I feel like I've got that locked down pretty well, but I wouldn't necessarily be as happy or as good as a role model as I should be. Honestly, 
Um, I think baby steps is, 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 as cliche as it sounds, it's true. You know, just taking a couple steps, um, just doing some things. You know, for me, baby steps was getting headshots, um, getting a resume together, talking to other actors, going and being on a set as an extra just to network and get to learn from other people. I think being teachable is a big part. If you go in just kind of thinking, man, I got this. I don't need anybody. I'm going to do it on my own. You're going to be on your own. That's for sure for a long time, probably. Uh, but when you realize the importance of networking and working together with people and not just, you know, not just trying to suck the life out of people, but what can you contribute back to them as well? You know, um, man, just have a good relationship with people and, Something, some kind of camaraderie, I think. That's very important, and it's you know, not something we have a lot of anymore today. I, and I think just those baby steps, when things start to fall in line and you kind of see things kind of coming together, you know, for me it was headshots, resume, taking a couple of acting classes and, and, and trying to you know, perfect some skills and hear, you know, get some legitimate feedback like, hey, you really need to work on this or you need to do this. Uh, taking better care of myself getting in a little bit better shape because understanding that the industry I'm trying to go into look is important, you know, whether or not I want to be, you know, muscle man and look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, not now, obviously, but back in my day, you know, <laughs> I want to look like Arnold now. No offense, Arnold, if you're ever listening to this, cause I'm not making yeah, fun of you. I, I'm I pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Arnold does not listen to cool things entrepreneurs do, but, but if he does, he's <laughs> welcome, yet. he's welcome to call both of us and, and, and give us a hard time for calling him out for not looking as good as he did I'll, 30 years ago. I'll, I'll welcome that phone call. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but, you know, just I, I think that's a big part of it is just taking some action. And, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, it, I've had some good luck. I've had some good fortune and some positive feedback. I'm also I have a small part in a play down here in San Antonio. Uh, but just going and auditioning for that. I mean, I don't know if I'd get cast and I didn't get a very big part. I have a very small part, but I'm in it, you know, and it was an opportunity for me to break in and meet some people who are actively working as actors. Uh, theatrically and on film, and it's been it's been a great experience. But we can sit around all day and talk about how you know we can't we can't do it. We don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have this and that. And one of the I don't even remember who said it, but it was a great thing I read the other day. It was talking about how you you can't make time. You know, and you probably heard this. I'm sure doing what you do, but you know, there's no such thing as spare time. There's no such thing as downtime. There's no such thing as extra time. There's just time. And you choose to do with it what you want to do. Yeah. And that's so true. Well, that's good advice. Kevin, I've got a couple of more questions for you before we go. But before I ask you those, I've got to thank our sponsor for this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Kevin Miller. Now, for an exclusive offer to people who listen who want to start their own podcast, Podfly says jump over to podfly.net slash cool things because they have a special offer for you. Now, Kevin, one of the things I always ask people, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and we could talk to, you know, about Kevin Miller and your, your growing acting career all day long. However, 
I want to know who is it out there that you admire. And I would say in the business world, or maybe it's somebody in the business of acting. Who do you admire where you say that person's doing something cool? I mean, I, I have a lot of people that I'm always looking after and just kind of reading up on. Um, Chris Pratt is, is kind of one of those guys for me right now because he kind of had a late start. You know, the stories I've read about him is he was kind of found in a restaurant just as a waiter. And, you know, what I've read about him, you know, I always have to take it with a grain of salt because, you know, can't always trust the Google. But, you know, <laughs> what I've read is that, you know, he, he just wrestled in high school. It was kind of funny and decided that, you know, one day he just wanted to kind of own his personality a little bit. And he, he was kind of found at a restaurant working as a waiter, given an opportunity. He made the most of it. And then, you know, years later, he's sitting here kind of later on in his life a little bit, not as late as me, but later, um, became, you know, Parks and Recreation. And then now he's like popping out all these movies like left and right. Guardians of the Galaxy was like one of the top grossing films last year, if not the top grossing. Uh, Lego Movie uh, was one of the, I think, the top animated film. And he was the little voice for Emmett in that. And so, you know, and then you had Jurassic World this year. So that's just a guy who kind of took some action and man, now you, now you look at him and he's everywhere. Well, and the so other thing that, about him is he did get sort of a late start. He didn't early on jump into Hollywood. He was a little bit later trying to, to burst into his career. And the other thing, when he got Parts and Rec, he was kind of the big fat guy on Parts and Rec. He sure was. And you talk about, we talk a lot on this show about people who want to reinvent themselves. And, you know, we haven't done a lot of talk about sort of reinventing your physique, but here's a guy who, I don't know how many pounds he dropped, but it probably had to be, you know, 30, 40 pounds. And oh, he, easy. you know, he went from being kind of the, the, the comic fat guy on the side to being one of Hollywood's biggest sort of leading men right now. And, you know, you talk oh, yeah. about, you talk about reinvention. So he had to reinvent himself once to get into the game, but to give up your look and what you're famous for in the middle of a role and come back as kind of, you know, the, the calendar boy and, you know, become the, the handsome leading man that, you know, it worked for him, but there had to be some risk in that too, because, you know, what if they just wanted to cast him as the fat jolly guy? Exactly. You know, and I mean, from going from Andy to Star Lord, that's a huge adjustment. You know, and, and the cool thing is, I mean, he's a family man. He's got a child. I mean, you know, a new dad. And and I mean, I don't know. So I, for for me, that's just one of those guys. And I, I like his sense of humor. I like. I kind of feel like we would, uh, I guess, be similar. You know, I'm kind of bummed too because I'm like, yeah, there's already a Chris Pratt. There's no need for a Kevin Miller. But then that's one of those <laughs> things that I've got to consistently battle. Like. You know, hey, we're all unique. We all have different things that we can do and different, you know, elements about us. And, and, and you know, that's just one of those voices. And you, you know what I'm talking about because that's probably something that we all deal with and all struggle with. And um, But I would say, and I wanted to say this when we were talking a little bit earlier, that the people that really inspire me are the people that I see doing it every day, you know, um, that I, I get to see with my own eyes. When I get to see a seventh grader get up who I know is terrified of giving a speech, but stands up for 90 seconds to tell us a story about themselves or about their life. And I can see their hands shaking and I can see beads of sweat flowing down the side of their face. And I can even see sometimes tears welling up because they're so nervous and scared, but they're owning it and they're taking a risk and they're stepping out in front of their peers, knowing that they're being judged, knowing that people have an opinion about them, but still doing it. And, and those are the kids in my classroom, man, that I get to see do that. And I love it. Because I, I'm like, man, if they can do that, then I can do this. You know, um, I went to amateur night because that's one of the that's one of my big things is to, to get up 
and do a five-minute bit at amateur night by Thanksgiving. That's one of the other goals I set for myself. And, I, you know, I, I'm fearful of that because I like, you know, I know I can make seven great kids laugh, but to make adults laugh, that's a whole other thing. And, I, you know, I think I can, but I'm going to have to do it. And, and I've made that commitment to my, to my friends that I'm going to do it, I'm going to own it. And so when I go, I go just to kind of do a little bit of recon, like learn what do people do well, what do people not do well. I mean, it's one thing to read books, but it's another to go to amateur night and watch it. And sometimes it's pretty miserable. I'm not going to lie. I feel bad for him. I'm like, man, I don't want to be that guy, you know? Um, so I learned a lot of what not to do, but I also, also see some guys pretty successful at it. And I'm like, okay, they nailed that. Why did they nail that? Why are they making people laugh? Look at their demeanor, the way they act on stage. My first night there, though, there was a lady who was a paraplegic and she had another lady with her. I don't know if it's her sister or just a friend of hers or what. And I thought she was just going there because it's amateur night. And sure enough, about 20 minutes in, that friend of hers was rolling her up on the stage. And I couldn't believe it. And her friend sat there right next to her as she was in her wheelchair and held the mic for her. And she did a solid five minutes. And I'm not going to lie. There was a big part of me that was like, is it? You know, I was struggling because, like, man, am I, is it okay to laugh? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here judging this, like, okay, what is this? Am I being punked? Is this a prank or what? Because I don't know if it's okay. But she was legitimately funny. And I was sitting there thinking, like, okay, I've, all my limbs work. And I'm able to speak clearly. And I'm very blessed in that. But here's a woman who knows that, man, life's been obviously rough on her. I'm not sure what her past was. And she could probably sit there and make tons of more legitimate excuses than I could ever make to not do that. But she went up there and she owned it. She owned it for a good, solid five minutes. And I genuinely laughed, um, you know. And I, I will just tell you her little first one-liner was she was like, she rolled, got rolled up there. Her friend held the mic and she basically said, you know, she was, uh, I just got back in town. I've been traveling the nation just warning teenage girls about the dangers of pole dancing. <laughs> and it was, it, it was great, but I, I didn't know if I could laugh yet. So I just sat there I just sat in my head. I'm like, that is genius like that way to own it. Like and it was so funny and I was so encouraged. And I, I wish I would have caught her because when she was done, she left, but I so wanted to just catch her and say, you know what? Thank you. Because not only were you funny, but you encouraged my heart. You encouraged my soul and I, I support you in what you're doing, and I wish you the best. Because it really was. And that was the first thing I talked about when I left there, you know. And I don't know, that that just was so much inspiration. I don't know her name. I wish I did. I'd give her a shout-out. But that inspired me and just reminded me that, you know, I can I can sit there and, and, in a sense, not to make light of it, but paralyze myself with excuses all day long where I can take action. I think so many of us do that. We come up with all kinds of reasons not to do it. Uh, two episodes ago, I interviewed a lady named Eliz Green. She's one of my friends, and we're actually working on a business project together called The Conference Talk Show, where we're the hybrid hosts for the simulcast of a conference. And it all came about because in both of our cases, when an opportunity came our way, we said yes. We didn't overthink it and say, oh, I don't have the experience or I'd have to miss the conference because I'd always be in the studio. We just said, yes, we'll do it. And it's now led to a new business arm for the two of us. And we had a long discussion about the conference talk show, but we also had a long discussion of what it means to be successful and owning the word yes when something comes your way. Because you're right. We can paralyze ourselves by coming up with all the reasons not to do things. 
So Kevin, I've got one more question for you, and that is, I always love to ask people what it is that they do to be a contributor. Because in addition to being a great observer, I think that the most successful people always like to find ways to give back. So what is it that you do? Well, for me, I mean, my family and I, we do community events in, in the little community that we live in, in Northeast San Antonio area. But what I have found is that if I can teach others and use, I guess, kind of a an avenue that I'm already in to do so, then I can kind of multiply my efforts. And so for my, for, I guess for me, being stuck in a classroom all day, I'm, I'm not really given the opportunity to do a whole lot of charity unless it's like on the weekends. So we've taken our gifted and talented group at the middle school I teach at, and we utilize a organization called Kiva. I'm not sure oh, if you've sure. heard of it. Absolutely. Kiva is a great organization. Okay. So what we've done is right now we're in the process of raising funds with our gifted and talented students by different means. Uh, some are just doing yard work around their neighborhood. Uh, some are actually um, just getting donations. We're about to have a, a dance at our school that is going to be just an entire fundraiser. And I've already told you before that I'm a, I'm a DJ on the side, so I'm going to just, you know, donate my, my services so that we can raise some money. And then we're going to just basically use Kiva to, to really have a positive impact, to, to make a loan uh, to a place of, I guess, uh, I guess I'd say immediate community area, you know, like doing something locally but also nationally, and then we're even going to take it globally. So trying to hit it on three different fronts. And so as those are obviously paid back, then we'll find new people to uh, to basically loan that Kiva money to and just try to help them get started and get on their feet. Uh, the example I used with the students, and this really just resonated with them, was I said, you know, what if we got a girl in Cambodia, you know, who's intelligent but cannot afford to go to school, can't afford to go to college, and all she needs is a little help with some tuition, or a little help buying some books. You know, I say, we can loan money. We can basically give her money to give her that opportunity. And let's just say she goes, and she's at the top of her class. And let's fast forward 15, 20 years from now, and she's one of the doctors that comes up with a cure for cancer. I mean, think about that. And all we did was maybe give $250, $300 that we raised to get her on her way. I mean, I know that's a, you know, kind of a fantasy world, you know, uh, illustration, but it's possible. Sure. And I would love to say that I had the opportunity to be a part of that girl's story because of what I did. And how wonderful that you're using that as a vehicle to teach these middle schoolers, too, about the importance of impacting other people and how small little things, I call it, you know, I call it compounded generosity. If you start when you're young saving money, they talk about compounded interest, you're going to have enough money to retire on when you're older. And yet it's not just for ourselves that we need to do this. The money that we raise or the time that we donate in little small amounts throughout our life, it adds up to amazing amounts of man hours and amazing amounts of money. And so I call that compounded generosity. And what you're doing is teaching these middle schoolers to start now and find little teeny ways to do things because those little teeny things add up to giant, you know, giving that can change the whole world. And it does. And it's amazing to see their heart, you know, because they, they just, they just want to be taught. Like, I think their heart is already there. They have, they're compassionate. They're caring for the most part. Uh, they just don't know how to help. And so when you give them that opportunity and you show them these pictures on Kiva and they see, wow, I can help this family. I can help this kid that's like me, just in a different country, in a third world country, doesn't have the, the you know awesome things that I have done. Have an iPad like I have right here that I'm looking at Kiva on. You know, it's amazing. Um, so they're they're super pumped, and I mean they they handle it like it is a student based, student led project. 
they write the parent letters home. They are in charge of coming up with ideas for raising funds. We're just kind of like the vehicle to just kind of help them get there. So it's it, that's that's really been an awesome experience for us, and we're just getting started with it. So Kevin Miller, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So two things come to my mind. One is. I think that big things are going to happen in your acting career, and I think it's a bummer for middle school kids of the future that they're not going to have Coach Miller as their math teacher. However, you know, I think that the seeds that you planted with the kids you did get to teach will, much like the girl in Cambodia, those kids are going to go out and be better because they had a teacher who said, hey, I'm going to tell you how it is. I wish that half my teachers had told me how it was when I was in middle school. So I think congratulations for everything you've done to hear, and I think the fact that you're pursuing your dreams, I would love for you to go out and accept the Emmy for making people laugh as like best actor in a comedy. And you can say, you know, I got my whole start on cool things entrepreneurs do. Okay, Thanks, maybe Tom. Not. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, and, hey, I just want to tell you before we end this that, um, you know, the opportunity to meet you the other day and know that, that you are leading by example, that you're practicing the things that you're speaking on and teaching on, it, it is very evident. And uh, I, I, I know I may be ruining your conclusion to your own podcast, but. I just want the people listening to know that, that you are obviously doing the very things that you're encouraging other people to do. Just the fact that we sat at the table, had great conversation at a subway because you were encouraging your daughter to be better at what she wants to do and encouraging her to pursue her dreams. And then doing the same thing with the people that you're speaking to and meeting with, I applaud you and I thank you because you have already had a big impact and encouragement on my life in just a short, what, five or six days that we've known each other. So thank you <laughs> well, for that as well. Thank you. That is that is very kind. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who listened. This is one of our longer episodes because I told Kevin when we went into it, I just want it to be a conversation like we had at lunch, you know, in between the morning and the afternoon session of the acting class that he was in. I said, I just want to talk like we're in Subway. And when you do that, you don't pay attention necessarily to the clock. So this episode is one of the longer ones. But I imagine if you've listened this far, you are really glad glad that you heard kind of everything that Kevin had to share. So again, thank you, Kevin Miller, for being on the show. And thank you to everybody for listening. I'm going to be back in a couple of days with more interviews with people who are cool. And we're going to have more information about the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Club. If you want to get involved in this group coaching group where we're going to use Google Plus uh, to have some group meetings, and then we'll do some one-on-one coaching on the side each month through that. And it's only going to be $250 a quarter. If you're interested in that, send me an email at tom, T-H-O-M, at tomsinger.com. As I put this whole thing together, we'll get the initial group in there, and then we'll just see where this goes and see if it becomes something that can help uh, a lot of people. So we'll be back in a couple of days, but in the meantime, you go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly passion for great sounding podcasts this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com